Hello and welcome back to a brand new series of the GM Cancer Podcast. I'm Steve Bland and this is the podcast that takes you right inside cancer services here in Greater Manchester. Whether you're a patient, whether you're a clinician, whatever your role in the world of cancer is, this podcast is for you. Now this series is a little different to the ones we've done before. This series is focused on health inequalities, specifically in cancer care. Now, the GM Cancer Alliance is committed to tackling these inequalities in cancer care. And there's actually a great big NHS uh, long-term plan that talks about a more concerted and systematic approach to reducing health inequalities. Obviously, this podcast is looking at things that happen specifically in Greater Manchester. So over the next few episodes... We're going to talk to people that have experienced health inequalities and talk to plenty of people that are working to combat those health inequalities. In this first episode of the series, we're going to take a very broad, high-level look at some of the inequalities that uh, do exist here in Greater Manchester and get a bit of an introduction into some of the work going on to combat those before we dive specifically into different inequalities that maybe exist in different parts of the region. A little later, I'll be getting the patient perspective from Farida Anderson, who is a patient rep on the Health Inequalities Board. But before that, my first guests are uh, Matt Everson, who is the Associate Director at the GM Cancer Alliance. Hello, Matt. Hi. And Dr. Alison Pye, who is a consultant in public health. Hello, Alison. Hi there. Hi. So let's get into it then. Um, Matt, should we start with you? Can you just outline for us some of the inequalities that exist? What are we talking about when we say health inequalities in cancer care? It's a very sad and I guess um, recognition that um, dependent on uh, where you live or what community you've been raised and lived in and living can influence your risk of getting cancer um, it can influence the chance of that cancer being diagnosed early versus late it can influence the chance of the quality of diagnosis and so that could be the speed of diagnosis it could be the accuracy of diagnosis um, it can affect uh, or influence the quality of treatment and it can influence the experience of care within the healthcare setting. Um, so really at every, every point in, the, in a cancer journey from the, ex, the, the exposure to risk of cancer to catching it early or accessing uh, healthcare when symptoms first start to getting a rapid and accurate diagnosis to effective treatment and the experience of that throughout can all be affected by the different factors that lead to inequality in healthcare. So, um, you know, even to say aloud, I think that's a very, it's a, it's a real stark and quite horrifying thing to say that we hold the mirror up against ourselves, that this is a challenge in front of us, that this, this happens and it's not acceptable. It's um, unjust, it's avoidable. And that's what this whole work program is about, not just in cancer, but across health and social care. And Alison, um, big question, but why do these equalities exist? Yeah, so um, I, I think I think it's 
as you say, the causes of health inequalities are uh, complex, um, and um, but they're generally associated with variation in a range of factors that influence our ability to be healthy. So they include um, inequalities in the way that people are able to access um, preventative and healthcare services, um, their experience of those services and the quality of care that they receive. Um, but there's also inequalities in individual behaviours such as smoking, um, alcohol intake, um, diet and exercise that um, increase the risk of, of um, certain conditions. And most importantly, um, there are inequalities qualities in uh, what are known as the wider social and commercial determinants of health. So those are the conditions in which we are born, in which we grow up, we live, we work and we grow older. So our employment, our housing, our education level, our social networks and support, our income and inequalities in those factors um, I guess, really impact on those first two points. And so they're often termed the causes of the causes, if you like. Um, but, but, but yes, a sort of, I, I guess a complex um, mix of, of all those factors um, can, can impact on health inequalities. And how much do they, uh, all these different things actually impact? You know, what are we talking like? How much does it actually um, increase your chances of getting cancer? And how much does it increase the chances of and not picking something up early how much does it increase the chances of you know having a, a poorer outcome you know what kind of difference are we talking here it's i think it's really complex to try and answer that and it'd be great to have a this is the this is the impact your headline yeah but those those inequalities in in healthcare uh, they're so interlinked um so we know um that uh, that tobacco the exposure to tobacco smoke uh, disproportionately affects particularly uh, communities that live in, um, you know, face the hardest challenges of deprivation. And smoking is linked to um, many health problems beyond cancer. Um, and so the, the, the complex interlinkage between those things means that someone might be at more at risk of developing cancer. And when they do, uh, they may have health problems that affect the ability to deliver optimal treatment that affects outcomes. And those other health problems affect their, you know, their, their, putting it bluntly, put life expectancy, you know, beyond that cancer itself. So if they're, um, maybe their cancer is treated successfully, there are still the background diseases associated with the exposure to tobacco. So there's so many interdependencies and how they link to create this inequality, but the difference in life expectancy between um, communities that live in the most affluent areas and communities that live in the, facing the most difficult levels of deprivation, you know, can be 10 to 15% difference, you know, a wow. stark, stark difference just yeah. because of uh, what Alison was just describing, where you're born, how you, where you grow up, and those determinants of health that form through your through your life. I guess just to sort of quantify that a little bit 
further for um, Greater Manchester. Um, so for people born in Greater Manchester, um, their life expectancy and their health life expectancy, um, so that's the years people can um, expect to live in good health, is significantly lower than the England average. But there's also significant inequalities within the city region. So for example, people living in Salford in the most deprived neighbourhoods can expect to live um, over 11 years less than people living in the wealthier neighbourhoods. So as Matt said, that's, um, I mean, that's astounding really and, um, and completely unacceptable. What I wondered, we talked about the difference, the different kind of uh, different parts of the cancer journey, incidence, early diagnosis, uh, your treatment, your outcome. Um, which part do we think is actually most affected by these inequalities? Which, uh, which area needs the most attention? Is it you know, education piece at the start of the journey? Is it, is it something about the treatment? Um, you know, where should we be focusing our attention the most? Again, it's a really tough question because I, I think the true answer is addressing the social determinants of health, the kind of the upstream models of care that try and address um, all of those factors that will determine someone's health through their life. That's where we focus everything because that's the that's the approach that could lead truly lead to change. But that is such a system-wide approach. It's beyond cancer. It's um, That's how a whole region together, like in Greater Manchester, comes together to deliver an inequality strategy. <laughs> in cancer itself, um, there's a real a national focus on early diagnosis. So um, from an inequalities perspective, there's the framework, the core 20 plus five, which is defining a population, the core 20 plus, that's the 20% of the population that live in the most deprived um, communities. Um, the plus uh, um, communities are, or groups are, are defined locally. Who are the groups that suffer the most inequalities in your local area? And then the five are five um, key areas for accelerated improvement. And one of those is early diagnosis in cancer. So we've got, we've got this national instruction and framework to try and drive uh, improvements in, in the inequality of early diagnosis. But that is just one area of it. And, you know, as a, as a cancer system, we have to look at every aspect of that journey. Early diagnosis is critically important, but so is uh, a faster diagnosis, so is an accurate diagnosis, so is effective treatment, so is experience of care. All of those things I think are important. So I, I find it would really hard to say this is the most important thing that we need to address. If we, if we don't do it across the pathway, we'll limit what we can achieve. I think the important point to make is that um, actually health inequalities and, um, and inequalities in general aren't inevitable. Um, they are avoidable um, and unfair. And um, the gaps in health between that we see between different groups aren't fixed. And we know that if we take comprehensive, multifaceted approaches to tackling um, health inequalities, we can make a difference. So in our um, uh, in Greater Manchester, um, our recently published um, integrated care partnership strategy for the whole health and care system um, 
uh, commits to um, uh, embedding that comprehensive approach to tackling health inequalities. And um, we have a, um, a delivery plan, our joint forward plan, which outlines a wide suite of actions that will both build healthier places for people to live in, um, also support people um, with healthier behaviours, but also um, help ensure that um, health and care services are um, accessible and acceptable, inclusive, um, person-centred, just to so so that we're really um, ensuring that people experience high quality care and support um, where and when they need it. Um, and um, I guess to support some of that system-wide work to tackling health inequalities, um, we have um, developed a, a fairer health for all framework. So that's been um, co-produced um, uh, across the system over the last 18 months. And that's our um, system-wide framework for tackling health inequalities. Um, and um, it sets out a set of principles and priority areas for work, which are supported by over 160 different individual actions detailed within that joint forward plan, um, along with some target metrics to help us to monitor our progress and importantly, some intelligence and leadership tools to, um, to support action. Um, so, so I guess there's a sort of range of activities um, that we've got planned right the way through from, um, as I say, um, sort of building, helping to build those healthier places for people to live in um, uh, right the way through to um, uh, supporting healthier behaviours and um, improving our, our, our healthcare services. And Matt, uh, we've talked before, haven't we, about some of the initiatives in, in for example, lung cancer, you know, your speciality, where uh, I'm thinking about the, you know, the, 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 the clinics where you can just go and get a scan, you know, you know, very quickly, you know, those kind of things, I guess they, they speed it up, but they sort of simplify it, you know, for a, uh, uh, for people that maybe maybe are daunted by the whole process of you know getting involved in this journey yeah and it's um i guess it's for us as a cancer system we have to we have to recognize that we're one part of a of a system and we have a big role to play in that so we need to both we need to take those principles that Alison has just outlined and apply them to the to the cancer pathway and to the cancer setting and equally use our influence as a cancer system throughout the rest of Greater Manchester to support those, those principles. Um, so it is working in that integrated system. Um, and it, you could, there, is, there, are lots of little, there are lots of examples within that cancer pathway. You know, I think about the self-referral chest X-ray or self-request chest X-ray project about making healthcare accessible but as a what any anything that we do as a as a cancer team, any project we have has to now be done through the lens of inequality, and it is understanding. So if we might set up a, a self request X ray service, what if someone doesn't speak the language where the the communications about that project is? What if um, or the healthcare workers within that service don't uh, look like the, the people who want to attend that uh, that service or don't understand culture, don't under, make it more daunting to attend because we haven't got the diversity that represents the communities that that service um, uh, serves. So it's we can 
um, you know, as clinicians, we can be quite focused on the, there's a problem and here's a solution. So it can be really difficult for someone with these quite vague symptoms like cough. You know, we talked about that just before. Dead, dead common symptom. We want people going in, getting x-rays. If it's lasted for three weeks or more, it helps early diagnosis of lung cancer. Uh, there are barriers to people accessing chest x-rays. So if we let people come and have an x-ray, they don't need to see their GP. They can turn up and have an x-ray. That's a solution. Great. But the those all those things and everything we do have to be through the lens of inequality and with the, the these frameworks that have been developed by greater manchester help us do that every project we do we do an equality impact assessment it's a standardized way of getting every person within that team and program team to be thinking through an inequalities lens mapping out where you could worsen inequality it's not the intention of the program but it could be a byproduct of it so you've got to anticipate that You've got to understand what you're going to do to mitigate or change that and actually address inequalities, how you're going to analyze it and monitor it. And every program of work we do needs to go through that same process. Um, so, it, yeah, it's taking that, the framework that have been set out, it's got an application to cancer, and we've got to recognize our role as part of the bigger system and, and do everything through this lens of inequality. Do you think... Um... And I'm not, I'm not kind of, uh, not having a go here because I, I include myself in this. You know, I've, I've, you know, worked in in and around cancer for quite a few years for, you know, for different reasons. Uh, but do you think the people working in cancer are 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 fully aware and able to properly understand? You know that that some people might not go for a screening appointment because they can't afford the taxi fare or can't afford the parking fare or the bus fare. You know that these are the reasons that people are missing these these appointments. Or do you think it's taken a bit too long, maybe, to figure out yeah you know, that some of these you know major inequalities and major barriers to getting the treatment and getting the care people need actually exist. Yes, I think is a simple answer. Yeah, I think we've got to um, we've got to hold the mirror up to ourselves, and this by um, it, it's now, it's at the forefront now of everything we do. I, think I do agree; it's taking time to get there, um, and, and once it's there, it really does hold the mirror up to you. It makes you start to think in different ways. Um, it challenges us about the diversity of our own workforce that are delivering these uh, programs of work, about the diversity of the health inequalities board itself in GM cancer. It really does make you hold a mirror up um, and start con considering things that I think, yeah, we, we could, it would be very easy to be guilty of not considering in the future. It's so health solution focused. Here's the problem. This is how we're going to deliver the service. But actually, how do you make that accessible for all? Uh, I think it's changing for the better, um, and yeah, you're quite right. Not, not, not. It couldn't be soon enough because it is. It is interesting, Alison. Like you know, before before I kind of you, you did anything in in the world of cancer, before you know, we started our other podcast, and before we started talking to patients and started to you know understand some of the challenges and some of the difficulties. If you'd have said to me that someone would miss uh you know a smear test because they couldn't you know didn't want to pay the bus fare or something i would have said 
that surely can't exist. Yeah, that surely can't be a thing. But it is a thing, isn't it? And these are the, you know, you know, these are the kind of the, you know, we have the big, overarching big, you know, big programs. But these are the the little kind of minute. I mean, not minute. They're not minute to some people. But these are the the smaller, very localized issues that we have to get to the grip, uh, uh, get to grips with. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's a sort of range of issues that that um, that that mean that people can't access things like their screening appointments. So um, things like um, the acceptability of the of the test. So um, that you know, to the person being screened, that could be related to their cultural beliefs or um, discomfort or fear of the procedure. Um, they, um, like you say, the convenience of the screening appointments. So um, are they, um, are the screening appointments available at convenient times of the days um, and convenient places? And that accessibility um, that you're talking about. So um, physical accessibility are people can can people afford to get to their appointment can they when they get there um, physically access the building um, to get to their appointment um, are there um, uh, um, tailored resources and, and information available which, which is translated and easy read materials from trusted sources um, that, that sort of help them access those services um, so I think um, there's a there's a sort of range of, of issues that um, uh, that impact on people's ability to to, to access um, things like um, things like screening cancer screening services, and um, uh, and 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 all of them I guess are equally important for us to be to be thinking about when when we're sort of designing and um, uh, and providing our services. In many ways, it would be wrong for me to try and say, oh, well, this is how I think we can make this service most accessible for this community. Mm. It's the community themselves that will say, if you want us there, if this is, you know, to really make this accessible, this is how it has to be. And the the power and, uh, the, and community champions within that who understand those that they live closest with and uh, within their neighbourhoods and... Uh, within their communities to really kind of drive that, um, uh, you know, how it's going to work best and how we get the best engagement and kind of bring it, it's that collective power. That's what we need to harness. Um, and I guess for we, we need to learn how to best do that, how to best facilitate that, how we best listen to every community and, and, and particularly those that may not have been heard before that's how we that that's our responsibility and what we need the most uh, Alison if I gave you a, a magic wand and a crystal ball you know let's 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 wave the magic wand and and cast ourselves 10 years into the future 20 years into the future what are you doing with your magic wand and uh, and where are we in 10 or 20 years time I mean I I would uh, I would hope that we're living in a, a greater Manchester where everybody has an equal opportunity to to deliver a healthy life um has um you know improved health and well-being um experiences high quality care and support where or when they need it um and um uh, and uh, and i guess that that means um 
and when we say everyone that means you know all all groups so um uh, people living in the most our most deprived areas and people from all ethnicities um uh, you know people uh, whatever whatever their health conditions so i think that that would be absolutely um our vision for the for for for, for the future for 10 years time matt what are you doing with your magic wand you know, I'm predictable. <laughs> Ten years time, we're in a Greater Manchester that's free of tobacco. Yeah, like, that's absolutely and that. And I know I have a uh, that's as a as a chest physician who sees the harm that that does, and what a driver that is of health inequalities. Um, to think that you know, in the future, um, you know, children, our children, grow up in a in a Greater Manchester that's free of those harms of tobacco would be you know just i think that would be that would change so many things but that is that's focused on one area that's it's very true of having the uh um making sure everyone has the opportunity that they don't are not feeling the effects of other um exposures that relate to cancer or not of alcohol healthy living physical activity you know that every community across greater manchester has the equal ability to benefit from the huge range of, of benefits and physical activity that's very accessible and easy to do you know they're the things for, for health that are going to change or change things hugely So that was a really interesting conversation talking to Matt and Alison there, but I think it's really important that we get a patient perspective. Um, and so my next guest is Dr. Farida Anderson, who is a, a one of the GM cancer patient reps. I think that's right, Farida, are you? That's correct. I'm also a public patient advocate on the National Cancer Programme Board as well as a Cancer Alliance, yes. Well, fantastic. You're the, pers- you're the perfect person to talk to then. Uh, before we get into... Um, perhaps the the inequalities that you've experienced and the ones that you're working towards uh, uh, sort of coping with and combating. Uh, Do you want to just explain your, your own, your own cancer story and, and, you know, why it is you're, you're a patient rep? Okay. Uh, I'm a patient rep because in 2013 on February the 14th, which is Valentine's day, as everybody will know, I received a diagnosis of uh, HER2 uh, breast cancer. No idea what HER2 was. My understanding was anything I knew about breast cancer just meant there was only one breast cancer, but there's a variety of different types of breast cancer. Mine was quite an aggressive breast cancer. And the thing that struck me was the absence of people who look like me. I'm a black woman, um, both working in the field and secondly, um, attending maybe screening and services. And it, uh, well, it concerned me. And it concerned me because the more I got involved in this, I was very much made aware from the statistics only now in 2023, that black women in England are at greater risk of late cancer diagnosis than white women. And as a black woman attending many seminars and trying to work the best to raise awareness within certain communities, particularly the black, Asian, minority, ethnic communities, uh, the importance of attending screening. Just sort of rewind to that 2013 diagnosis. What was the, what was the sort of, um, what happened after that in terms of your treatment and, and you know, where are you now um, in so, terms of your, your cancer? 
Okay, so having a diagnosis of breast cancer, HER2, was picked up through screening because my mother had died of breast cancer at 48, although there was established there's no genetic link. We was informed as daughters of my mother we were at a higher predisposed risk and therefore went for screening. And what showed up on my screening, is, screening sorry, was uh, precancerous cells. So I'd had one screening test done, the calcifications were very speckled, spread out, lovely. Went back again and they could see that they were gathering, which meant if I'd not been screened, I could have waited till I got a lump and then mm. presented myself at my GP. But I got picked up through screening. I then uh, had a consultant who informed me I'd got HER2 positive and then informed me that I would require lumpectomy chemotherapy, radiotherapy, alongside Herceptin for treatments of five years. And I'm 2023, so I'm 10 years on. And I suppose I'm living with and beyond cancer, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's that's fantastic to hear. Um, at what stage in your treatment or, or post-treatment did you de decide that you wanted to do something about the challenges and the... You know the inequality that maybe you've already you know, you've already discussed. Uh, when I mean, was it that you thought you know I need to do something to help? Well, I'm personally been an activist in and around inequalities. Um, my honorary doctorate was working with black and minority ethnic people in the criminal justice system, for which we have an overrepresentation. Um, and what struck me was that when I left the criminal justice field and then personally entered the cancer world. Uh, I could see there was disparities again within certain communities, that there was some health inequalities that struck me around certain communities not somehow using the services that were on offer. Um, that was going for screening, that was maybe going to their GPs. And I kept attending uh, my own, I suppose, just my own services and my own treatments. And I just felt, where were we? I didn't mm. see us on posters. I didn't see us in arenas where treatments were being given. Um, I sometimes didn't see anyone even receiving treatments. And it just struck me that there was an absence and an absence of the voice of certain communities. And as a black woman, that struck me uh, something maybe wasn't right, didn't quite know what it was. And then the more I looked into it, the more evident it became about what the health inequalities are. And I think it's not just for cancer, it's transparent throughout other health uh, aspects that certain communities. And the one that struck me the most is that when I started to attend seminars and thought was, I want to get involved, I want to do something, was the same statement that I kept being told and that black women in England are at greater risk of late cancer diagnosis than white women. And there's only so many times you can sit in a room and hear that. And then you think something needs to be done. And that's when I decided to be a public patient voice. And I feel from my own, my own journey and working within certain communities, having a presence around a table as a public patient voice uh, allows me to raise those voices that maybe aren't being heard and that maybe we need to look at... Um, when we say everyone has an opportunity to live a good life, we have to acknowledge it's a very good statement, but actually many people don't have opportunities to live a good life, and that could be the socioeconomic factors, can be some aspects, barriers of 
where they live, location, it could be access to education. So there's many reasons why we don't all live a good life. And some, some of that is because we don't know how to use what the services are or what even services are that are on offer. There's so much there's so much to kind of unpack here, isn't there? Because there's there are actually so many inequalities within this. Like you say, the socioeconomic, you know, where you live. Um, you know, a good friend of mine, um, a lady called Leanne Perro, uh, runs a thing called Black Women Rising, where you know they're all about education and empowerment for Black women in terms of you know, breast cancer, particularly, but you know, all, all cancers. And, and you know, talking to Leanne, there are so many challenges that I just you know, blow, as, a, as a white middle class male, I, I wouldn't even start to try and understand. And I can acknowledge that, having been in many of the arenas where decisions are being made, there is an absence of people like me mm. around the tables of spheres of influence. Now, put it this way, I worked in a prison and that had 10 white men deciding what should be on offer for those yeah. women in prison. Yeah. And ironically, there wasn't any black men in that room there wasn't any other women in that room and my question to them was is how can we or you rather make some of these decisions when actually if what we don't have is the people who've been affected by being in prison and that's the same as having cancer if we don't have the people affected by cancer in the spheres of influence of where decisions are being made in both co-production and co-design which i'm very fortunate i'm i'm finding i get those opportunities but i'm i'm one woman You've mentioned another group. That's not in the location. I'm from the Northwest, so I don't know how many black women are up and rising in the Northwest because there needs to be that voice and there needs to yeah. be the male voice, certainly when it comes to prostate cancer. You yeah. know, if I hear one more statistic about the high rate of black men dying through yeah. prostate cancer because of later diagnosis, my question is, we know the stats, we know the figures, what are we doing that people so in another 10 years god forbid if my daughter enters this arena doesn't have to hear the same stories do you think that's um i actually asked matt this when we um, in our previous uh, part of the podcast i asked matt um you know is part of the problem that that we have a lot of you know white middle class people who don't actually probably you know through no fault of their own who don't probably who don't probably understand what it's like to not be able to afford the bus fare to go to your screening appointment or don't understand some of the challenges that you've outlined. And I think he, you know, he was very honest and he said, yeah, that's, that's part of the problem. But how do we get around that? I mean, is that simply just a case of people like you standing up and being, you know, being more active, being more vocal? From my perspective and being doing this for 10 years, I cannot go into any more arenas and keep hearing how bad the health inequalities are for certain communities. That's not what I want to hear. What I want to hear is in the 10 years, what have you done to make that health inequality no longer stay the same stat? Does that make sense? So some of that will mean a better communication, a greater collaboration of working with the different organisations. And I have to say, Greater Manchester Cancer Alliance are starting to do that. We've got the GMC10. I'm aware that they've appointed someone to look at their strategic leads of health inequalities. My question is, when I look at all those roles, do I see anybody that looks like me? And my answer is, at this moment in time, no. 
So therefore, I'm still not convinced. Around those tables of influences and those tables of change, unless you look at who is making the decisions, if it's white middle-class men making decisions for women who've got breast cancer from certain communities, what I'm saying is you need to have the dialogue with those women. We yeah. need to open up that table. I'd love to go into any of those boardrooms and see more people like me. Because actually, until you change the dynamics of who's in the room about what decisions are being made, you know what we end up with? What we've already got. The statistics yeah. that we've inherited. And I'm saying that cannot go on. We no, have to personalise treatments. We have to implement a meaningful way that acknowledges, wow, Farida, yes, you've got breast, breast cancer. But you also come with many other things. I recognise you're a black woman. I recognise you're a Muslim. I recognise you could be a gay woman. I recognise you might have a disability. I want all of the aspects of me to have a personal service and not to ignore my me. You know, my cancer diagnosis is one aspect of what I am when I present for my treatments. But I'm actually a black woman. Is there anything else that could make my journey and help me along this way? In the 10 years since your diagnosis and and since you've been, you know, involved in this world, um, you know, Matt and Alison in the previous part talked about, you know, lots of the great initiatives, lots of the great work that's going on. Is there anything that maybe, you know, uh, positively you would say, you know, has been done that is that is starting to move the dial a little bit? Well, I definitely would say that there's been a recognition that the aspects of the lack of visible and I mean visible as in the black, Asian, minority, ethnic women, I recognise other protected characteristics we don't always see. Are you with me? I don't necessarily know everybody's religion yeah. by the fact yeah. that they present themselves, but I'm talking yeah. about the visibleness. I think there's been a concerted effort within the local Cancer Alliance, within, I think, NHS Greater Manchester, to change some of the dialogue of what we know by having an encouragement to recruit more people like me, to look at the diverse ways that we can bring those with the lived experience alongside their carers to become involved in influencing any change. So, yeah, we're, you know, we're on, a, we're on a journey. It's a bit like the cancer one. You know, you, you never know where it's going to end. And it's the same when you're working with equalities. You never know where it's going to end. What you do know is, is what you're starting with is inequalities. And what you have to say is, I don't want to have any more inequalities. And I'm going to have to work harder to change it. And I'm going to have to think differently. I'm going to have to look at what training's on offer, whether it's culturally competent. I'm going to have to ask whether or not there should be more support that recognise the differences that I bring alongside my cancer journey. Any research has to ensure it's got the monitoring of people like me on it. And yeah, do you know the best thing that we've got at the moment is we're talking. My question is, who are you talking to and how many communities are you reaching that will say we are a representative of that community? I, I think there's a long way to go. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, but I'm equally a realist. Yeah, it's an extraordinary complex picture, isn't it? Because like you say... We need to be we need to be tailoring, you know, education, uh, communication, to, you know, millions of different kinds of people, different communities, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different disabilities. You know, everybody is different. And everyone needs them, their information in a different way. And I guess, you know, the the that might kind of feel daunting, but it needs to happen, doesn't it? 
Well, yeah, because, you know, there used to be a statement when I got involved in this that, you know, some communities are hard to reach. And my response was, is the reach too hard? Yeah. Can you be bothered? Yeah. So it's an easy statement to say that we're hard to reach and, and, and then to avoid how we reach that, you know, because some of the harder things to tackle means relief until the last rather than yeah. at the beginning. Let's cast forward 10 or 20 years. What's, you know, what's the biggest thing that you would like to see change? If you could say, you know, say, you know, if, if we only achieve one thing, if we only achieve one major you know, breakthrough, what is it? You know, what's the one thing that you want to see changed? Well, I suppose what I'd like to see change is for the decision makers to look. When I look at those decision makers and the influences of the power that the voice has, people with lived experience from certain and and, and diverse communities, all those people with the protected characteristics should be being involved in what's going to be happening. And that that means we get a chance to change because my mantra is if you keep doing what you've always done, you only can get what you've already got. And actually, you've got to feel comfortable to change from that. And now sometimes that means you need to share power. That's quite a difficult thing for for some people to do when they've had that crowning glory, you know. But somehow it can't be around the power being the basis uh, of the only influence to change. That has to be shared dialogue, a reflection of people in powerful positions that come from diverse communities based on their ability to do that job. Are you with me? But I'm just saying if we don't start to change those leadership factors, then we're going to keep getting what we've already got. So for me, it's about seeing things and feeling things that I genuinely know are reaching the communities that I'm a part of. Uh, You know, for me, that would be those communities being confident to go to the GPs not being fobbed off. I mean, I think it's yeah. easy for some communities to think, oh, I can't make an appointment. It's too difficult. But actually, when it comes to your health, nothing's too difficult. You keep yeah. making that appointment. And when you hear something you don't like, just ask for a second opinion. Yeah. You know, if, if I had my way, I'd advocate that everybody has an advocate <laughs> because yeah. it's the most difficult thing when you are given a diagnosis where you think you're going to die. Because yeah. that's the first thing that comes to your mind, whatever the consultant tells you. People cannot disassociate cancer and dying. And I suppose that's a mantra that has to change. We're living a lot longer. It's very hard to keep a clear head in those situations, isn't it? That's why people always say your first appointment, take somebody with you. Well, you know, that assumes we've all got somebody. You know, the number of people I went to at Christie's who went on their own. I, I, I was fortunate and blessed. I had to say to they made up a whole data of who could go and what to go. But I could see the number of people who would go and didn't have anybody. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, wow, how is this happening? Yeah. Why, why is this still seen as okay? If, these, yeah. if we'd have done our personalised assessment from the beginning to where they're receiving treatment, we should have picked up that actually they live alone. They don't have anybody. They yeah. need to bring communities together. They need to bring somebody who has maybe been through the journey that they've been on. We just can't make an assumption. And I think sometimes there are assumptions made of that certain communities. Oh, you're not alone, are you? You all come from big families. Well, actually, they're right. becoming yeah. less and less and less, just like yeah. most other communities. Um, Farida, that's been really, really, really interesting. Thank you so much for your time. It's um, 
Yeah, it's the more we talk about this, the more I talk about this, the more enlightened, baffled, like overawed by the kind of the the scale of the work. But I think, you know, talking to you and talking to Matt and talking to Alison, there is so much goodwill, so much desire, so much, you know, intention and planning and work going on to try and uh, address some of these challenges. So, yeah, I hope in 10 or 20 years, I hope we are you're way down the line as as we talked about but yeah thank you so much for your time you're welcome so there we go episode one of our health inequality series i hope you found it um, interesting hope you found it enlightening i really did i think it's an extraordinary topic and um as we go into this series we'll explore more and more specific inequalities that um you know really really eye-opening stuff and I think um, yeah as I said to Farida uh, for someone like me a white a middle-class male I I just um, I don't think I fully understood uh, or even could possibly understand some of the inequalities that, uh, that exist and the impact they're having on on cancer treatment and different parts of the cancer journey for for lots and lots of different people in our region so yeah uh, stay tuned listen to the next episode uh, coming up next week and um and we're going to be exploring as i said lots of different specific uh, inequalities in the meantime we have done uh, lots of previous episodes before you can find them uh wherever you get your podcast from and please do check out gm cancer on social media as well and i'll be back uh, next week with another episode until then goodbye <laughs>